down and pray and then help is on its way. I was in need. I was in need and I needed a friend. I was alone and I needed a hand. I was going down, but someone rescued me. Oh, my God cares. My God cares too much to say.
found in you, Lord God. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, men on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know everything I need you've got. There's honey in the rock. Thank you, Jesus. Praying for a miracle. Praying for a miracle, thirsty for the living well, only you can satisfy. Sweetness at the mercy seat, not tasted, it's not hard to see, only you can satisfy. There's honey in the rock. Flowing when you said that it's done. 
you, Lord. We love you. We bless you. We make a fresh altar of surrender before you. Oh, Lord, we make a fresh commitment this day. We belong to you. You control the reins over our lives. You steer us left or right. You tell us halt. You tell us go. But we offer ourselves a surrendered and living sacrifice. Lord, have your way in our lives. And help us to stay yielded, obedient, and in the center of your will. We thank you, Lord, that our times are in your hands, that your ways, your will, and your timings are perfect. We trust in you, and we commit and surrender ourselves afresh to you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise. He's a good Savior. He's a good Lord. He's a good Master. And we thank Him for that. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. You, you, know, the, you know, the Bible says that Moses one time, the, the pleasure of sin for a season. Now, you don't have to raise your hand or don't look at the person next to you. But, but if you've ever backslidden, you know, backsliding can be cer certain degrees. Some people never front slid so much, so they'd have to rob a bank to backslide because they never really came around. But others, if you start missing a couple services, you're going backwards because you've set a high standard for your spiritual walk. So there's a difference, okay? There's a difference. And you know, sometimes there's a sense of relief to get outside the will of God for a moment. Because the will of God comes with a pressure and an opposition. And you have to be determined to fight that fight of faith. And sometimes people, they get out and for a moment they feel good. But it's a deceptive feeling, isn't it? It's that sin for a season thing. Because then sooner or later things begin to happen. And, and, and we always have to pay a price when we get outside the will of God, don't we? Sure we do. Sure we do. And so that's why the Lord warned somebody this morning. Maybe more than one somebody. Be careful before you run. Sometimes it's easy. I'm just going to do that. Why? Because I don't like it here. And God's dealing with me here. And answers aren't coming fast enough here. And the grass seems greener. But then when we get outside God's will, we found out it's better off being in the midst of a battle, knowing you're in the will of the Lord, than to seemingly be in an easy place, but be outside the will of the Lord. Can you say amen to that? Amen. That's why God gives us gifts like this. He wants to speak to us. He wants to interrupt us sometimes. Can you say amen? I want to give a big God bless you. If you were part or you attended VBS, give me a wave. Give me a wave. If you were there at all, amen, 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 amen. All right, there we go. Yeah, I know you were there. Yeah, he was there. I know this group over here. I got puppets. and uh, Miss Amy, thank you. You and your crew did an awesome job. Amen. Amen. There was good, good groups out every night. Uh, <laughs> Sister Andrews, she shared the word of the Lord. I snuck in on her class. And it's just when she started to give that all, she gave an altar call. I mean, leading the little ones in the sinner's prayer is precious. You see a group of them, 10, 12, 15 little ones with their heads bowed. And it's just, it was really good. It was precious. Amen? You see, what, how I pray every Wednesday, especially when we have midweek service, I said, Lord, for the little ones, missionettes, rangers, all that. I said, Lord, help them to understand what they're being taught and help them to believe it. Help them to understand their lesson and help them to believe it. Amen. And oh, it was, it was precious. So I want to thank everyone that came out, everyone that served, everyone that's attended. It, it was a great three nights, and God did some wonderful things. And we love you and we thank God for you. Amen. 
All right, children, you are now dismissed to go have some more fun with Sister Amy. Amen. Learn about Jesus and have a good time with Sister Amy. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Don't you love your Bible? I love my Bible. Sometimes just go line by line, explain it, expound it, apply it, bring it on home, and then always ask, therefore. If you didn't give a therefore, you haven't preached. Amen? If you haven't called people to respond, then you fell short. This is more than being a newscaster bringing the news. It's a herald of a king calling men and women to respond to the message of the King of Kings. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 4, we're going to begin with verse number 7. And Peter writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, it's a speaking gift, teaching, preaching, sharing, witnessing. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, cooking, you're cleaning, you're setting up. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and forever. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to talk a few minutes this morning, the believer's response to the end times. The believer's response, your response, my response to the end times. Peter is going to give us a proper response that we should all have as children of God that are living in this critical, urgent hour of history. It's an hour when Christ could return at any moment. It's an hour when no one is guaranteed tomorrow. It's an hour where the needs are great and the time is critical. And as Jesus said to his disciples in John's Gospel, the ninth chapter, we must work the works of him who sent me, the works of the Father, while it's still day, while we can still do so, because night time is coming when no one can work. You know, the time is coming, you can't have another outreach. The time is coming, you can't teach another class. The time is coming, you can't witness to another neighbor or co-worker. That time is coming. Now, for Peter, it's been some decades since Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Peter that's writing this is an older, more mature apostle. He's an elder, a leader in the church. He's really a father in the faith to many of those in the church. And it's a time right before that wicked emperor Nero would unleash his horrible persecution on the church. Peter's own death for the cause of Christ was drawn close. And he writes his letter to God's people that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And overall, it's really a letter of hope. It's a letter of grace. 
It's a letter of comfort in the face of great pressure and persecution, of unjust suffering that was upon them, and unfortunately it was just going to get worse. And this morning I want to look at God's Word and hear how the Lord would have you and I to live in this present hour. The believer's response to the end times. Break it up into three main points. Number one, the incentive for our duty. We'll talk about our love for the Lord and our understanding of the times. Our understanding of the times. But secondly, the instruction for our duty. And we're going to see how Peter calls us and stresses that we're to be a praying people and a loving people and a working people. The incentive, the instruction, and then lastly, the intention of our duty. That God would be glorified. That the name of Jesus would be exalted. And the people of God would be blessed. And the will of God would be carried out in the earth. Let's begin. Number one, the incentive for our duty. And you see that in verse 7, the very beginning. Peter writes, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. That's the reason. That's, That's the incentive. And the remainder of what we'll read will be our response to that truth. Christians have a reason for the way we live. Why we live like we live and do the things we do. There's a reason for our choices and our values and our lifestyle, our priorities, our joys and our sorrow. There's a reason we're not like others. There's a reason why we embrace a certain moral code and why we reject many things that the present culture accepts and even applauds. From how we raise our children to how we spend our money to how we worship our God to how we define marriage, on and on and on. There is a reason for the way we live and for what we believe. And the primary reason, very simply as well, is we've met Jesus. If you're here today and you're a real Christian, you've had an experience, a personal experience, a life-changing experience of salvation through Jesus Christ. You've met Jesus and he's changed you and you belong to him. Think along this point, so many beautiful examples come to mind. This one always seems to stick out. I think of that Samaritan woman at the well. Most are familiar with the story. If not, John 4 has the story. Read it in your devotional time. This woman was lost. This woman was hurting. The Bible says she had five husbands and was presently living with a man. And about noontime, she came to draw some water at the village well, and there she met Jesus. Nobody else was there. The woman would go earlier in the day, but she was kind of an outcast, so she'd go at an odd time, and the disciples were going into the village getting some food, so it's just her and Jesus, a real divine appointment. And here, Jesus strikes up a conversation. You want to witness to someone? Strike up a conversation. Just get people talking, and then you can tell them about Christ. And he deals with her in such a way, her life and her emptiness, he reveals himself as her answer. And it's such a life-changing encounter that she is never the same, and she couldn't contain it. She had met the Christ. She had met the Messiah. She had met heaven's Savior. She'd received that living water. 
that only Jesus can give. I mean, the water that refreshes the soul and lives forever. Jesus said to her, listen, you can drink from that well and you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. You can go to another relationship. It won't satisfy your soul. You can change careers. It won't satisfy your soul. You can change hobbies. It won't satisfy your soul. The only thing that will satisfy the soul is Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. You need Jesus. He's your answer. You were made by God and for God. And apart from God, you're like a bird that will never fly and a fish that will never swim. The thing you were created to do, you won't do. You were made to walk with God. Know this God. And you do that through Christ. But I love this story. She has this life-changing encounter with Jesus. And the Bible says that she responds by hurrying back to her village and telling the rest of them, come see a man. I mean, I can see it. I can see in the theater of my mind. I can see this thing. Come see a man. Her enthusiastic cry awakens that sleepy Samaritan village. But remember, she had a reason. She had a reason. She had a reason to shout. She had a reason to celebrate. She had a reason to rejoice and to be so excited after so many years of heartache and hurting and disappointment and frustration and desperation, emptiness, shame of rejection. So many years of used and being used, she met the one that is the friend and the healer of every wounded and broken heart. She met the one, the only one that can forgive our sins and give hope to our souls and give meaning and purpose for our lives. She met Jesus. The one that the Bible writes about, it's written of Christ. A bruised reed, a bruised life, He will not break it. He will not break it down. In a smoldering wick, I mean that wick of a candle that seems like it's ready to go out, he won't snuff it out. No, no, no. Instead, he'll cause it to burn bright again. And he'll take that staff and he'll make it strong again. Can you hear her? He walks into that town crying with excitement, with joy. Come see a man. He knew me, yet he still loved me. Come see a man. He filled my emptiness. He healed my brokenness. He soothed all my sorrow. Come see a man. His name is Jesus. Someone come to Jesus. Someone come to Jesus. He's your answer. He's the way. He'll change your life. He'll make you brand new. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I can hear her crying out, telling others about how good Christ is. Saying of Jesus, the one that praised God when our sin was exposed. His hands didn't have stones to throw, but great mercy to impart and lift us up, transform our life. She had a reason. She met Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Has he changed your life? He transformed her. She'd never be the same. Let me ask again, can anybody else testify to something like that? Can anyone else here this morning with the sound of my voice testify? You've met a risen Christ and he's changed you. He transformed you from the inside out and you've never been the same. New creations, the Bible calls it. The old being gone, behold, everything else is new. Forgiveness, freedom, fulfillment, purpose, hope, meaning, destiny. The primary reason we live the way we live, not because of a culture, not because of a tradition, But we have personally had an encounter with Jesus Christ. We've been born from above, and we're not the same. We're not the same. No, 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 we're not the same. 
We've received him personally as Savior and Lord. We live for him publicly unashamed with all of our hearts. He changed us. And that salvation is too good and too precious to keep it to ourselves. Can you say amen? And if I can pause, I want someone to know you can't get in on this thing with the family plan. You'll never get to heaven because grandma was a godly woman. You won't get to heaven because uncle so-and-so was a pastor of a Pentecostal church. The only way you'll ever get to heaven is if you personally give your life to Jesus Christ. If you personally give him your life. And then from there on, live for him. Can you say amen? The primary reason we live like we live, we've met Jesus. He's transformed us. We're not the same. There's been a new birth and we're new creatures. That old man is dead and gone. I'm a new creature in Christ. But the second reason we live the way we live is because we understand the times. Notice how Peter said, the end of all things is near. Peter's writing about it's a critical time, it's an urgent time. So he says, well, I don't know if Jesus is coming back. I got news for you. You'll be dead within 50 years, most everyone here. So I want to say it again. The time is critical to do what God's called you to do. The time is critical to make your life count for something more than just the temporal. Are you with me? I got to get that there. Understanding the time is very important. The Bible teaches often redeeming the time. The days are evil. Making the most use of the time and the opportunities. The Bible teaches us again and again how times and seasons belong to God. And we have to recognize and respond to those times. Respond to the word of the Lord. Respond to the call. Respond to the opportunity to walk with God. To live for God. For salvation. For service. For special blessings. Sometimes those things don't come back a second time. We've got to respond and know the times of God and respond to them. Don't miss the opportunities that God puts before you. I want you to know it might not come back. I've been around long enough to tell you that. I've been pastoring long enough now to tell you that. I can see them. I get to the point in life, can I be honest with you? It's not in the notes. Can I be honest? I'm just thankful some people that I've pastored through the years are still going to heaven. God knows they've thrown away their divine calling. They threw away their divine purpose. I'm just thankful so far it still looks like they're going to get in. Because they rejected the timings and the ways and the callings of God. Let us understand what time it is. Let us understand it's not time for patty cakes. But it's time to get serious about the things of God. You know, Romans 13, Paul writes... Understanding the present time. He writes to the church, let's understand the present time. Because the hour has come for all of us to wake up and all of us to get serious. Because our salvation is nearer now. Our meeting with the Lord is nearer now than when we first believed. Let's read that together. Romans 13 and verse 11. Look at this. And Paul writes, and do this, do this, friends. Understanding the present time. God wants his people to understand the present time. He says the hour has come. For all of us to wake up from our slumber. Let's not live Christianity halfway. Let's live it wholeheartedly. Amen. Let's live it soberly and awake. Because our salvation. Our seeing Jesus face to face. It is nearer now. Than when we first believed. See friend. Every day. Brings you and I closer to the coming of the Lord. Or closer to meeting him face to face. Hence today. Today. It's not a time for 
um, excuses or procrastination. Today is the day for action and obedience. Can you say amen? Action and obedience. What time is it? Peter said the end is near. The Lord is coming. You mind if I preach a little bit here? What time is it? It's time to get serious about the things of God. It's time to put our houses in order. It's time to put our hands to the plow. It's time to put off procrastination and draw near to God and give ourselves fully for the work and the ministry of God. It's time. What time is it? It's time, like the prophet of old says, it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his blessing upon his people. What time is it? If you're not saved, it's time to get saved. What time is it? If you're not living the way God has called you to live, it's time to make things right and have a fresh surrender and a new beginning and give God first place in your life one more time. Can you say amen? It's time. Peter writes, the end of all things is near. And now normally, too often, the end is near brings a different response than a biblical response. Some people get into fear, afraid, and fearful. That's of the devil. Don't live in fear. That's not of God. Live with a boldness and a confidence. You're a child of God. Amen. He's with you. Some of them get into idle curiosity. Talk about the end times. They want to find out all this deep stuff. Forget deep stuff and show up in VBS and serve. Amen. Isn't that right? Say, here I am, Lord, I'm going to battle. I mean, come on, go witness to your neighbor or something. I mean, well, it's, it's crazy. I'm, they neglect duty. They become busybodies. They go out and buy the latest book. They watch the new experts on TV. They watch some crackpot preacher try to sell them food that's going to last 500 years. Good Lord, who wants to eat that? Amen. I don't think I'm going to be around that long, but if I am, Fred's will take good care of me. Can you say amen? I don't need any of that junk. Save your money. Oh, Lord, go to Fred's. Amen. I mean, it's crazy. You talk about the end times, and they want to get mysterious. No, not mysterious. You're going to see nothing mysterious about it as you read from the Bible. It's very practical and getting busy. We're the people of God. We're the salt. We're the light. If revival doesn't come, it's because we didn't get the job done. When the souls don't get saved, it's because we didn't do what we called to do. We need to do our part and give ourselves. Oh, my. Oh, my. Peter gives a different response, obviously. Peter gives a biblical response. And I want you to see in these verses that we read, just these few verses, that this is God's desire for his church and for his people. And these are ingredients for a healthy, productive, advancing church and individual. We see in these few verses that God says, the end, is all thing, end of all things is near. Therefore, let's be a praying church, let's be a loving church, and let's be a working church. Can you say amen? We're just going to walk it through. It's easy to see. Number one, here's our instructions. Verses 7 through 11, the instruction. Number one, let's be a praying church. He writes, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-control so that you can pray. Prayer, prayer, prayer. The end of all things is near. We need to be a praying church. The book of Acts, that, that, that time in church history where they turned their world upside down, they were a praying church. They didn't just pray a 911 prayer. They didn't just pray in times of crisis, but there was a daily 
ministry of that church to seek the Lord, to intercede for the lost, and to cry out to God. And friend, we are in an age where the spiritual wickedness is just being poured out upon people. People are hurting and people are confused and the powers of darkness, some are bold and some are subtle, but they're strong. And one of the chief weapons you and I have to combat that thing is the power of prayer. The weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, they're mighty through God to pull down strongholds, to disperse the darkness, but they have to be used in prayer. Is one of the chief weapons we've been given to see the will of God done. We're called to pray because God's not willing that any should perish. We're called to pray because it's written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You see, it's through prayer that we understand the mind of God and that we receive the power of God to do the works of God. And as we draw near, we'll see the glory of God. It's prayer, faithful prayer, persevering prayer, believing prayer that grants you and I or helps us to tap into the resources from heaven that will enable us to do the works God's called us to do. Through prayer, revival, restoration, visitation is released. Through prayer, souls are saved and bondages are broken and the works of God are manifest in the earth. I always think of that wonderful Old Testament promise that my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. If they'll seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God says, I'll hear. I'll answer. I'll pour out the rain. I'll send my healing arm. Let's read that together. Second Chronicles 7 and 14. Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. You see, prayer is power, but prayer has to be exercised. Prayer is power to change situations in your home in your community, in your church. But prayers not prayed don't have power. Prayers have to be prayed. Can you say amen? If my people, if, if, there's an if. You see, if we do the if, God will do the then. If my people who are called by my name, if they'll humble themselves and they'll pray and they'll seek my face and they'll turn from ways that are not right and unclean, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. God says, if my people get serious and seek me, then I'll let them find me, and then I'll answer their cry, and I'll release my power in their midst, and I'll bring peace to their homes, and I'll bring grace to their hearts, and I'll break chains that have them bound, and I'll open up eyes of those that have been blind. Oh, there's power in prayer. Let us be a praying people in these last days. Can you say amen? We must pray, and if we do, God says, I'll answer. Prayer is a powerful weapon in our arsenal, at our disposal, but we must use it if it's going to be effective. And then notice here, Peter, his fatherly warning in verse 7. Because after we exhort to pray, he knows there's preaching and teaching. Preaching is proclamation, declaration. Teaching is instruction, explanation. And Peter knows that you can preach and kind of stir them up and motivate them for a bit. But if you don't combine it with teaching, they won't know how to go about it. And Peter, being the the father in the faith that he is, he does more than give a pep talk to his sons and daughters. He says, let me give you a couple insights that are going to help you pray. Because most real Christians want to pray. I mean, if you're really saved, we know the power of prayer. But just for some reason, sometimes we don't get the discipline of prayer. 
Notice what he says here. The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled. He warns his readers about two hindrances that really can keep us from consistent, faithful prayer. I mean, things that will cause well-meaning believers to be inconsistent, erratic, ineffective, ineffective in prayer. He says, number one, be clear-minded or be sober-minded, be, be, be serious-minded. He's saying one of the things that hinders a person, a well-meaning person, a sincere believer, from praying consistently, if you don't pray consistently, you're not going to pray effectively. Amen? You're not going to pray powerfully. And what are some of the, well, number one, he says, be clear-minded. Be right-minded. Understand the importance of prayer. Understand how really important it is. But you know, the flesh and the devil tell you, well, you know, it's not really. Things will work out anyway. And then that just plays into the flesh that says, yeah, I'm tired too. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> be clear-minded and have a disciplined mind that is focused on the task of praying. Broken focus. Leads to many a fall. Broken focus. Peter's walking on water. Broken focus. You begin to sink. But be clear-minded. Have an understanding of the importance of prayer. How important it is. But also have a disciplined mind that will help you focus on the task of prayer. Number three, be clear-minded and be in tune with God's will and God's burden and God's desire when we pray. But sometimes, even when people get praying, we wind up praying about things that really, maybe that 15 minutes, 30 minutes, could have been spent on something more to the heart of God. He says, be clear-minded, and then he says, be self-controlled. Hmm, self-controlled. He says, be alert or be watchful. Some of your translations, be watchful and alert. Watch out for distractions. Be self-controlled, because a lot of things can distract you when you start to pray, amen? Anybody? You know, all of a sudden, you, forget, you haven't thought about that person in, in five years. You're thinking about him. My Lord. Next thing you know, you're, you're at Macy's picking up a special. Get out of Macy's. Get back to the, I mean, <laughs> be, be, watch out for distractions. When I was a young man, you know, back, back home in the north, most of us have nice basements. Beautiful, the cool year round and Great place to pray, and, and I was in college and got older. My basement was there, and you could pray. It's like a whole other room down there. And During the college years, I'd have different shifts. You know, you're working in between college semesters to go back. And so sometimes I didn't pray in the morning. I prayed at night because I was working different shifts. But I remember some, one day I'd come home, one season I came home, and I said, I'm going to pray. And, you know, you're working all day, and then it's about midnight by the time you get home, and you quit and you put your prayer time in before you sleep. It gets hard. I mean, on the old nature, amen? That spirit is really willing, but oh, man, that flesh, I want to, you know, Z, you know, call the hogs, as they say. I want to go to sleep. And, and I begin to pray, and you want to nod off. And now finally, I, you have to mean business with your flesh. If you're going to discipline yourself and be consistent in anything, you have to discipline your flesh. If you're going to achieve something academically, you've got to discipline your flesh and study. And, and, and you're with me. So finally I said, flesh, you're going to pray for 45 minutes before you go to sleep. And if you fall asleep at 44 minutes, when you wake up, you're going to start all over again. Woo, all of a sudden the flesh wasn't messing with me so much. 
But if you're going to grow in the things of God, you've got to learn. I have to learn. We have to discipline this old nature. But he's easily distracted and he's easily talked out of things. So again, Peter says, listen, I want you to be good in prayer here, but yet you have to be clear-minded, understand the importance of prayer. Amen? Focus on that task of prayer. Get, get the mind of God so you're praying prayers that really matter, you know, not just silly prayers. And then be self-controlled in it. Be watchful in it. Because there's a lot of things that will try to distract you and discourage you and get you to stop praying. If you stop praying, God stops answering. The end of all things is near. Let's be a praying people. And then he goes on, listen, the end of all things is near. Verse 8, he says, you know what? Let's be a loving people. Let's be a loving people. Above all, look at that verse 8, above all. Wow, above all. But you know, we can pray and pray and really seek the Lord and breakthroughs, but if I, I got awed against my brother, it's going to hinder everything I do, amen? And so he says, above all, notice he says, above all, he's stressing the importance to be the church God's called us to be. To be a church where the Spirit of the Lord can be here in a freedom and a beauty. Oh, how the psalmist said how glorious it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. I mean, that's what causes the anointing to flow and the Spirit of God and the blessing. But above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Above all, refers to the supreme importance of agape love. Remember how Jesus said in John's Gospel, one of the ways that testifies to the world that we really are believers is the way we love one another. He says, this is how they'll know that you're mine, by how you love one another. And it says here, love each other deeply, some translations fervently. And, and the word here, deeply, fervently, it, it denotes a straining or a stretching. It was a word used in athletics. Like when that runner, he would be straining for the finish line. You know, at the end of a race, right, when they're running the sprint, the closer they get to the line, they reach out to hit that line. And, that, and that's the word he's using for deeply here. He's saying, if you're going to love, and we're going to love one another, and not everyone's easy to love, and some people are different, but you're all in the same family, and God says, so love one another. Sometimes it takes a little stretching of our spiritual muscle, a little effort of our spiritual man. Can you say amen to that? It's all right. You can say amen. It's in the book. It's okay. Love each other deeply. Again, a stretching or a straining, an effort like an athlete straining for the finish line. And it's a picture of a person giving maximum effort. Such love. You know, people act a certain way when things are good. Remember the context. The end of all things is near. And the persecution and the pressure is getting greater. Sometimes people get out of character when they get under pressure, don't they? Sometimes it's easy to love everyone when you're doing good. But Peter's writing to people where persecution is getting ready to be unleashed. And he says one of the ways that God can keep moving in the earth in the midst of all that hell is when God's people choose to walk like heaven in the midst of it. Loving one another, supporting one another, encouraging one another, befriending one another, forgiving one another. Even when things are hard, and it's very easy, every man for themselves. Again, it's a picture of a person giving maximum effort. And again, such love, here's the key. 
if you've never been with us studying the various loves that the Bible talks about, the different words in the Greek, such love is capable of being commanded because it's primarily, it's not primarily an emotion, but it's a decision of the will that leads to action. You know, we're talking about agape love. It's not the love of emotion. It's the love of decision. It's the love of will. You know, some people, it's easy to love. You look at your baby, and it's just a natural thing. That, that love, that, that love just it flows, it just overflows. It's just so. But others, we choose to walk in love. We choose to love. And that's the highest form of love. It's the love God gave all us lost sinners before we come to salvation. He chose to love us. And at that point, there wasn't anything in us to love. I mean, we didn't want God. We were running from God. But God in great mercy chose to love us. Send us unto die for us. That's the love. Peter says, listen, in these last days when things get hard, when things get hard in a family and pressure mounts in a family, this kind of love will see you through. You see, when someone loses a job or someone gets ill or someone makes a mistake and God wants to bring a healing and hell's trying to divide and destroy the family, this kind of love will help you get through it. This love of decision, this choice of the will to imitate the love of God that he gave to us. This is the love that will cause marriages to mend and homes to be healed. Bless his name. You say it again, such love. You can command this love because it's not a love of emotion. It's a love of decision. It's a love of the will. A decision of the will leading to action. Christian love. A dedication of our will to treat others the way God has treated us. And such love is sacrificial, not sentimental. And it requires a stretching of believers' spiritual muscle to love. Love others in spite of insult, injury, misunderstanding. In spite of our differences in our backgrounds, in our temperaments, in our personalities, in our callings, in our past. It can be inconvenient. It can be at times uncomfortable and demanding. But the Bible does say that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So those of us that have been born of the Spirit have that capacity to love others with that Holy Spirit if we'll make the choice to. But again, we see here in verses 8 and 9, the end of all things is near. we got to get serious about prayer. we got to pray like we mean it because prayer is one of the chief weapons God has given us to overcome the darkness and the attacks of the devil in this present hour. But now we got to make sure we love one another because when things get harder, that's when people get brittler. Isn't that right? Like I said about the one man, they, you know, they're like a porcupine. They got a lot of good points, but there's also sharp. It's hard to get near them. Amen. And, and you know, so some people are hard, but love will overcome that. Some people haven't been perfected yet. Come on, like the rest of us. But love will overcome that. We see here verses 8 and 9. Three things about Christian love. Christian love, number one, should be fervent. It says deeply, from the heart. It's an act of the will. We choose to love even those that aren't easy to love. Amen? The effort of love. It's fervent. It's forgiving. Talks about love here. What a beautiful thought. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't excuse sin, but love, 
Love does not condone sin, but love covers so that grace and truth can work. You see, love is a hand extended that leads to restoration. Love sticks with someone while God is dealing with them and bringing them back to where they need to be. It's that patience and love. It's that enduring love. It's a prevailing love that chooses to keep giving them another chance, another chance like God did us. So we see love is fervent, love is forgiving, and love is practical. Because if you notice in verse 9, offer hospitality to one another. Again, the context is, is the family of God. One another without grumbling. You can lose a lot of blessings by grumbling. Practical. Actually, this word, hospitality, it literally means love to a stranger. But it's really, it's, it's putting faith to work. It's how John said, we're not to love just with words, but with deeds and action. It's loving with an action, a devotion, that even if it means to sacrifice, love, love, love's okay with sacrifice, amen? They don't have such a small measure of love that your love fails as soon as things get uncomfortable. As soon as things demand something of you, you give, no, that's not love. Love sent Jesus to the cross. Love endures all things. <laughs> love endures all things. Anybody, 1 Corinthians 13, love endures all, love has an enduring power to keep believing and keep trusting and keep persevering and they're not easily running and they're not easily. And love must be sincere. Remember now the end is near. So Peter says we need to pray if we're going to be the people God's called us to be and we need to get along because we can have the best music and we can be the loudest in this and we can have everything that everyone says you need to have. But if we don't love one another, the thing that's needed most, the blessing of the Holy Spirit, will not be there. There'll be a quenching, there'll be a grief. We need to love one another. But lastly, we need to get involved. We need to pray, we need to get along, and we need to get involved. A praying church, a loving church, and a working church. You notice in verse 10, now this is a call for all of us to get involved. Each one should use. Now Peter said, listen, end of all things is near. We need to pray. We need to love. But boy, we got to get involved. Everybody has a place. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has an opportunity to serve the Lord. Amen? There's someone that needs your testimony. There's someone that needs your witness. There's someone that needs your prayer. There's someone that needs your extended compassion. But look at this, verse 10. Each one, that means everyone's included, amen, should use... My gift isn't me to put on the shelf. It's not just so I can admire. It's not so we can all get together. Let's compare our gifts. Isn't that nice? No. no. Each one should use. It's to use. Their gift, remember the gift, it's a grace gift. I didn't earn it. I didn't work it up. God gave it to me. Amen? But he didn't give it for me. He gave it for you. Your gift's not for you. It's for me. Our gifts are for others. Each one should use. Whatever gift, verse 10, whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. Let's look at that together. This is our call for individual involvement. If we're going to carry out the will of God and be the people of God in this present hour, it's going to take a team effort. It's not just for one or two super saints. It's for all the family of God to find their place and give their best. 
And I know different seasons come in people's lives, and some used to do this, but you know, we change and we have to get a different place. But regardless of where I am in life, there is a place for me to serve. There's an opportunity for me to give. There's still giftings on my life that if I offer myself to God, he'll give me the opportunity to use it. Different seasons. There's gifts of mercy. There's gifts of hospitality. There's gifts of just giving, going to the needy and giving. There's gifts of teaching, of singing. If we look at this, Peter reminds us that everyone has a part. You're part of the family. You're important. No one like you. Everyone needs to participate and be involved. You know, I tell people sometimes, you know, when you don't come to church, you do miss out. You miss out. But I'll tell you what, let me, let me give you another thing. You know what? Someone else misses out. You miss out, but there's something here to bless you. If you'll come with an open heart, God will bless you. Amen? The preacher might dud out, but something else will bless you. If you come to God's house with an open heart, someone will bless you. A brother or sister will encourage you. A song, the prayer will bless you. So when you don't come to church, number one, you miss out. But I'll tell you what, someone else misses out because you have something to give. You have something. It might be your smile. It might be your example. It might just be your greeting to someone else. You don't know how important you are to the body of Christ. I mean, like the thumb waking up one day. I'm not very big. I'm not very, maybe I'll take a day off. I hope my thumb doesn't take a day off. Amen? So sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, well, you know, well, how, what can I do? Listen, you can do a lot. You're part of the family. And according to Peter, you've been given a gift. And that gift is to be used to bless others. So here we go. Let's look at verse 10 together. Each one, every one of us has a gift, a talent, a special gift, a divine enablement, an opportunity for service. It's unique, it's divine. Each one, and next it says, should use. We should employ it. Not just enjoy it, employ it to serve others. Lord, how am I using the gift you've given me to bless someone else, to encourage someone else, to comfort someone else? And then it says, faithfully administering. God wants us to be responsible servants, not neglecting our duty, not neglecting our opportunity, but faithfully using our lives to bless others. You know, I said to the Wednesday night crowd as we began studying, and one of, our, one of the words that James got to was our mouths. And so we began to look at scriptures about the power of our mouths. You know, I want to understand, the Bible teaches me I've got great power in my speech. God spoke and the worlds came to order. Jesus says, speak to that mouth. There's power in our words, amen? So I've got to recognize my words have power. They can discourage you or wound you. Isn't that right? You know, I said to him, I said, you know, I, I just started my first senior pastor at 29, 30 years old. And, um, you know, I'd grown up all my life with the nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break your, our bones, but names will never hurt us. I said, you know, as a 30-year-old, and a lot of those people in that congregation were as old as my grandparents, and that seemed real old in those days, amen? And um, I, I found out along the way that that, that story wasn't true. Because I'm seeing people come up to me, and you know, they, even though you're just a young kid, 29, 30 years old, when you're the pastor, people, as they should, have a proper response to you, and they pour out their hearts. And I began to see people that, oh my goodness, for 30 years, an unkind word, a careless word from, from a parent, from an ex, from whatever, was still wounding them and still hurting them. I found out there's power in our words. Amen? 
But then I also found out, since there's power in our words, I want to respect that power, but I want to use that power to bless others. And I said to the group, I said, listen, we looked at some scriptures about how the, the, the words of the righteous bring nourishment, bring refreshment. They, they bring healing to others. I said, listen, isn't that a great gift we have? We can nourish others. We can encourage others. We can speak words that refresh and revive and bring healing to others. I go, we should wake up every day, Lord, give me an opportunity to use my word today to bless someone. Just give me an opportunity. I don't care if it's at the store. I don't care if it's in the neighborhood. Lord, each day, give me an opportunity to speak a word of hope to someone, to speak a word of healing to someone, to speak a word of compassion to someone. It's a hurting world out there. People have been beat up. People are confused. The world has been lied to. They've been messed with. And we have the words of eternal life. We have words. We've hid the word in our heart, amen? And from the abundance of our heart, our what? Our mouth speaks. So those of us that are walking with the Lord, we've got something to say to others. Would you wake up every day and say, Lord, use me today to speak a word of blessing to someone. There's enough words of cursing. There's enough words that are downcasting people and defeating people. Give me a word to lift someone up. Give me a word to shower some comfort and compassion and hope. There's so many people are hurting, and I want to be part of the solution, not the problem. Can you say amen to that? Faithfully administering. I must recognize God gave me this gift. God gave us the opportunity of the lives we get to live. Let's use every day for the glory of God. Let's use every day to bless someone in Jesus' name. And seasons change. But that's all right. If I'm a living sacrifice... God can use me. It might be in the doctor's waiting office, but God can use me. It might be I'm coaching my boys' little league team, but God can use me. I mean, whatever station you're at in life, as long as you make yourself available to the Lord, he'll use you. And one of the easiest ways to be used, you don't got to go take homiletics, that's a preaching class. You don't got to hermeneutics, that's interpreting class. You don't got to get any of these classes. You just have to say, Lord, give me an opportunity to speak a word of kindness to someone, a word of hope a word of conversation. And Lord, if you'll let it grow, the conversation grow, I'll, I'll tell them about you, but at least just let me lift someone up today and sow that seed. We, we can do that, we can do that. And very simple, I'm, I'm winding this down. And Peter kind of breaks up the gifts into two broad categories, speaking and serving gifts. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a Wednesday night class. But whatever we're called to do, Peter says, and we can do it with the strength that God provides. So whatever you're called to do, you can do it confidently, but you're not doing it with your strength, you're doing it with his, amen? So, so whatever, God, whatever opportunity God gives me, I can go confidently because no longer I that liveth, but Christ that lives in me, amen? All right, we ask ourselves this morning, how do we respond to the present hour? How does a faithful, serious, and sincere Christian respond to this present hour? Number one, I want to recognize the time. Let's use our lives for the glory of God. Let's be involved. Somehow, somewhere, let's offer ourselves. Recognize the time. Remember all he's done. I don't know about you. God's been real good to me. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the mercy of God. So many times, could have taken a wrong shot. Hell could have taken me out. So many times when I was younger, oh, but God's been good. But God's been good, amen? 
and I want to remember that because I want to give God thanks for that by living for him. So I'm going to recognize the time, remember all he's done, and respond. Recognize, remember, respond to the opportunities before us. Opportunity to pray, opportunity to love, an opportunity to work and to serve. Every one of us has an opportunity to pray. Make sure you pray. We need to pray. God will be faithful to answer for pray. But we need to love. Let's make up our mind, Lord, we're not going to be like this world. This world is uptight. They're angry. They're hurting. If I didn't know Jesus, I'd probably be just like them. So I'm not, I'm not condemning them for that. Amen. I remember what it was. Come on. Let's not be too pious here. But now that we're born again, we can bring salt and light into the situation. Lord, help us to walk in love towards one another. Amen? Help us to walk in love towards one another. And Lord, help each one of us to find our place and give you our best as we work and serve for you and for one another. All right? And incentive, the instruction. What's the intention? That Christ be glorified. Peter says that in all things God be glorified. That his people are ministered to and his name is exalted. Amen? That, that, that's the end of that thing. We go to the altar. Let's respond to the word of the Lord this morning. Is there something that you should be responding to that we spoke about today? We'll respond to it. Make a fresh altar. You can come down. You can do it in your seat. But if God was speaking to you, maybe you need to get that prayer life strong again. Well, go ahead. Be encouraged. Try to apply some of the lessons. Or, or maybe, you know what? Say, God, help me. I got an attitude towards one of my brethren. And I need some grace to, to walk in love in that area. And God will help you. You know, he's got to help all of us. And we need the help of God for everything. Our Lord, I've been kind of slacking off in my service. Show me where you want me to roll up my sleeves and, and get involved. And if you need special prayer, these altars are open. We'll pray for you. Maybe you need a touch in your body this morning. Jesus is here to heal you. Maybe you're tired and you need some refreshing. The Holy Spirit is here to fill you afresh. The end of all things is near. So if your heart's not right with God, make sure today you make it right with God. If you've not received Christ, or maybe you're drifting, and you know you're drifting. Maybe people can't see it outwardly yet, but in your heart you know it. Well, God's speaking to you right now. Make things right. Make a fresh surrender. Get back on track. The end is near. This is not a time to waste. Let's stand. I'm going to pray the prayer. And then we're going to open the altar. You need a healing touch. He's here to hear you, heal you. If you just need to make, give yourself afresh to God and say, Lord, I need to start loving and serving like I once did, then let's do that. And let God use you. And remember, life has different seasons and different times. Lord knows I can't do what I did when I was 25. I'd be foolish to try. And if I did, I'd pay a price for it, I'll tell you that. All right? But you know what? There's something I can do now. There's something I can do today in this season of my life. And I want to give this season to God. Amen? See, you're part of the church. You're part of the answer. When you watch the news as much as you can bear it, and you see all the terribleness and the ugliness and the hurt, Part of it makes you want to cry. The other part makes you want to scream, right? 
you got to realize, as the people of God, you're part of the answer. I don't care if it's a war. I don't care if it's a terrible criminal. We're part of the answer. We've got the message of hope. We've got the power that can overcome the darkness. We are the answer that this world needs. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of the living God. We have the message and the power. We're part of that answer. Let us pray. And then when I get done, would you sing it one time through? And if you need prayer, come and let's believe God together. Father, cause us to see and be aware of the opportunities before us. Help us to understand the importance of the hour in which we live. Stir us to pray, to love, to work for your name's sake, to work for your people's sake. Move us into action. Let our faith be seen in our response to your call. Father, bless your faithful ones. Father, I pray for all the faithful workers that are here today, and many of them, Lord. Maybe they've been bruised. Maybe they've been a bit weary. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, heal the bruises of your faithful servants. Refresh the weariness of those that are giving their best for you day in and day out. Oh, God, encourage the hearts. Encourage their hearts. Give fresh vision to their minds. Let a fresh anointing, let the oil of God flow upon the areas where they feel like they've been stung, they feel like they've been hurt. Oh, God, heal them. Let a fresh faith stir within them. Let a fresh excitement, enthusiasm, and expectation stir within them to believe that you'll use them to do wonderful, mighty things. Help us to see the need. Move us to act. Stir us to believe. Thank you, dear God, for the privilege of being part of what you're doing in the earth right now. And I pray, Father, now shower this precious group of people with your divine blessing. Let the showers of the Spirit fall at this altar in this congregation. Let healing flow to the hurting. Let fresh fillings be bestowed upon all the thirsty and all the weary. Father, in the name of Jesus, We ask you to move powerfully at this altar. Speak to those that come and need an answer. Refresh those that come and are tired and weary. Heal those that come and are afflicted. And bless everyone with a new anointing to carry out their task and to be the ones you've called them to be. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said,